Today I have the uh, pleasure of finishing up our series, uh, going over the family of God. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I've struggled with this sermon, kind of getting it prepared, because the topic that Paul gave me for uh, this la- the last of this series is the Christ. If you don't know, there's a lot you can talk about on Jesus. Um, so trying to narrow this down to where you guys don't fall asleep or don't walk out of here hangry, um, it, it was a struggle all week. So um, hopefully, hopefully the Spirit keeps this concise. Um, I want to mention one other thing. Phil is currently working on getting printouts of the lyrics for um, the songs after the sermon. So um, I'm sure somebody will be passing those around during that way. Just letting you know so you're not surprised. Um, so to talk about the family of God and how Jesus relates to it, um, I kind of want to go go through and quickly kind of connect all the dots that Paul has kind of strung along over the past five sermons that he's done. Um, and for that, I think we need to go back to the beginning, right? Um, so scripture is not going to be up there like normal, uh, but you have your Bible, your Bible app. Um, I'll read it out as we go. Um, if you'd open to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. You see, that's the beginning of humanity. That was Adam and Eve in the garden. And at that point, Adam and Eve, they were the family of God, right? Humanity as a whole was intended to be the family of God. Now, when I hear the term family of God today, I think the church, right? Um, But if you go all the way back to Genesis, we see that God made Adam and Eve in his own image. He made them to be the family of God on earth. And he set them up perfectly in the garden uh, with everything they could possibly need. Um, But we all know how how the story goes, right? Um, God said, hey, there's this one tree. Don't eat of that. Everything else, everything else is free game. Don't eat of that one tree. Um, But Adam and Eve did what we so often do today and say, you're telling me I can't eat of this, so I'm going to go do this, right? Um, Nobody tells us, no, we're going to go do it. Um, so they go and eat of the, eat of the fruit of the tree um, and learn what sin is. And so God kicks them out of the garden and says, well, that didn't work quite properly, but I'm going to send you out of the garden so that you don't eat of the tree of life and then have an eternity living in sin. Um, but before he kicks them out of the garden, um, God sets them up to make sure they have everything they need to where when they get out there, they can survive. Um, including giving them clothes instead of the fig leaves they had sewn together. Um, So humanity screws up despite God setting them up perfectly, um, and sin enters the world. But humanity as a whole is still the family of God. Um, But then if we fast forward a little ways, fast forward up to about Genesis chapter 6, we get to the time of Noah. Um, and this is a story that most of us probably know as well, but we're going to read chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So this family that God had set up on earth, humanity, they had become so utterly sinful, so corrupt, that their thoughts were evil continually. Their very desires were always evil. There was not good left in them. And God saw us as unredeemable. So unredeemable, so impossible to remove that corruption that he decided he had to flood the earth. He had to reset humanity. Now, when I look out to the world today, I see a lot of wickedness in us, right? I see a lot of wickedness in our societies. I see a lot of sin everywhere. And God still sees us as redeemable today. So it makes me, I can't fathom how wicked these people had to have been for God to say, no, no, I have to reset. I have to reset. I have to, Noah, you, your sons, and all your wives, you're going to build a boat. You're going to load up on the boat with a bunch of animals, and you're going to essentially reset this. So Noah and his family become what remains of humanity, what remains of the family of God. Um, And despite this reset, however, despite this reset, humanity continues screwing up, um, which seems to be a pattern throughout all of human history. Um, They continue screwing up so much so that God decides he needs a different plan. And I think this really takes place when we look at the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Humanity came together and said, you know what, let's build one city. And in that city, we're going to build a tower stretching all the way to heaven. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're not going to be God's people. We're going to be our people. God is not our God. We are our God. And God saw this and said, no, no, I commanded you to spread across the entire earth. So he mixes their languages and sends them out across the earth. Um, And so humanity is screwed up time and time again as it's supposed to be the family of God. Um, and one thing that is just, as I was going through that early, that early history of humanity, um, I was thinking about the fact that God had actually made us in his image, but there's a couple ways that he made us that I think we kind of overlook. Back when he made humanity, he gave them dominion over everything, right? He gave us dominion over the entirety of this planet we call Earth. Um, essentially, we have dominion over this small piece of creation just as God has dominion over all of creation. Um, And when we look at the Tower of Babel, um, I stopped and I was like, humanity can't have dominion over all the earth. We can't be the caretakers of all the earth if we all are in one city. Um, God requires that we go to all the earth. He requires that his family, that his presence is spread across the entire earth. Um, and so that's why he scatters them at Babel, and that's why he decides, I need to re, we need a new plan, right? So we're going to go forward just a little bit further into Genesis chapter 12, um, where God shows what his new plan is, right? The new plan for the family of God, because all of humanity isn't working at this point. So Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's at this moment that God chooses Abraham. Or, um, in the language that Paul's been using, God elects Abraham. He has made the decision that from this one man, all of humanity, all of the family of God will be created, right? Humanity itself will no longer be the family of God. We're going to narrow it down to this one man, and from there, God will make his family on earth, his presence on earth, a little piece of heaven on earth, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and when we look at these promises that God makes right here in chapter 12, a lot of them are very personal to Abraham's physical life, right? Um, he's going to bless you. And he's going to make his name great. And he's going to bless those that bless him. He's going to curse those that dishonor him. Um, but it's, there's a couple in here that are long-term promises that God makes. He's going to make him a great nation. And he's going, and through Abraham... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a big promise. That's a huge promise. The idea that every family on earth might be blessed through one man. Um, and we'll get to how that actually can come about. Um, so if we go about three more chapters forward into Genesis chapter 15, uh, verses 5 and 6, this is a vision that God is giving Abraham. Um, in verse 5, And he, God, brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven. The number of the star and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God takes Abraham outside, a man getting really close to 100 years old, his wife also getting close to that point, well past the age they would be having children. They have no heirs, have no children at this point. God takes Abraham out there and he says, look up to the sky. Try to count the stars. You're not going to be able to, but try. That's how many descendants you are going to have. And if you guys have not gone somewhere where there's not light pollution, to be able to look up at a clear night sky and see just how many stars there are, you couldn't count a small fraction of them. And then if we take modern astrology and look at the actual number of stars there in the galaxy or in the universe, we can't even see all of them from Earth. Um, so you can take that way. And the number of offspring, the number of descendants that Abraham is going to have is essentially limitless. It's an uncountable and unfathomable number to a man who has not had children yet and is approaching 100 years old. Um, we go a little bit further to Genesis chapter 22 to what I consider the main promise that God makes to Abraham. Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So this is right after God calls Abraham, after giving him a son through his wife Sarah, Isaac, that they shouldn't have physically been able to have. They're far too late in life to do that. Gives them a son and then says, I need you to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. 
And Abraham goes all the way to the top of the mountain and is willing to give up his son because he believes when God says do something that there's a purpose behind it. He has full faith in God. And God stops him and then makes this promise. Again, reiterating the promise that his offspring are going to outnumber the stars in the heaven. They're going to outnumber the sand on the beach shore. But also reiterating the promise that his offspring shall be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Those are huge promises. Absolutely huge promises. And when you follow Abraham's story, eventually you get to the nation of Israel, right? The people that were enslaved by Egypt, led out of Egypt by Moses, led to conquer the promised land by Joshua, and led to be established as a proper nation by King David. The issue is, king after king after king after David, and the nation falls into sin. The family of God that is Israel at this point begins to fall into sin as the whole of humanity did before it. So much so that God eventually exiles them, brings them back out of exile, and then they screw up again and are exiled again. Um, and then are brought back out of exile, except this time they're not a nation. They're just a people living under Roman occupation. So Israel, these people, they are the family of God at this point because they are the direct descendants of Abraham, the direct descendants of the one that God said, I'm going to redeem this fallen creation through you. But the nation of Israel could not fulfill the promises made to Abraham. Right? The two, two big ones I'm going to focus on are offspring outnumbering the stars and being a blessing to, every, blessing to every nation and family of the earth. And those two things, the first one, given enough plenty of years, technically Israel could outnumber the, the stars in heaven, right? Um, you count the generations back, and eventually you get to that point where they're just incredibly numerous. But also by that point, all of humanity is incredibly numerous. So they can't they technically could fulfill that promise, right? But the second one, to be a blessing to every nation, to be a blessing to every family, Israel can't do. It's counter to who Israel is. Israel was set up as a nation that was to reject other nations. They were to stiff-arm them, to keep them out of their presence, because they were the holy ones of God. They were to keep themselves pure and not to mix with these other nations, not to cooperate with them, not to allow their ideas into Israel, because it would corrupt their own belief. It would corrupt their own people. That was just by design who Israel was so that Israel would pre be preserved till the point that it was needed, till the fulfillment of its plan. So Israel itself, as the family of God, cannot fulfill all the promises given to Abraham, right? Cannot fulfill the purpose of the family of God. So a Messiah is needed. Someone is needed to come in and rechange what the family of God is yet again. So it goes from all of humanity, it goes down to one man and his descendants. And then it needs to change one final time. One more time to actually be what God needs it to be on this earth. Um, and so, like I said, Messiah is needed. And one of the prof multiple of the prophets sent to Israel speak of him. But if we go into the book of Isaiah, we go to chapter 11, we read the first five verses. Um, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belts of his loins. You see, Isaiah prophesied that a Messiah would come of the stump of Jesse, of the descendants of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Um, and this Messiah, there's so many other prophecies we could read here, right? Um, but that Messiah had so much to fulfill, but one of the things that he would fulfill is what the family of God was intended to be, was supposed to be. Um, so we're going to flip forward to the New Testament, to the very first part of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Um, I know this is a part that all of you have read and probably have memorized, but I'm going to read it for my own sake. Um, and I'm probably going to butcher most of these names, so need forgiveness for all of those. Uh, but we're going to read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadad, and Amminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Ovid the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by his wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, or the exile to Babylon. And after the, the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shilti, and Shilti the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Ilikim, and Ilikim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elud, and Elud the father of Elizar, and Elizar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, again, I butchered a lot of those names. Um, and when we read this, to us, it doesn't mean a lot, right? To the Jews that read this, it would have meant everything. Um, but what this shows is that Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham. It historically can be traced through the bloodlines all the way back up to father Abraham. Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. Therefore, Jesus can fulfill the promises made to Abraham, right? He can be the descendant that fulfills those promises, the promises that Abraham's descendant would out, descendants would outnumber the stars, the promise that his descendants would be a blessing to every family and nation of earth. So Jesus gets to be the redeemer of the family of God. So why did Christ come? What does 
How does Christ redefine what the family of God is? Christ came that all who would believe in him, all that would confess their sins and confess that he is the Lord, might be saved. They might be redeemed. That's why Jesus came. That's his own spoken reason for coming. And through that, the family of God is no longer just Israel. It's no longer just the descendants of Abraham in a literal sense, right? But if it's not the descendants of Abraham in a literal sense, how are those promises fulfilled um, by Abraham, or fulfilled that were given to Abraham? Um, If we go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, we read verses 7 through 10. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah prophesied about what would happen to Jesus on the cross. Prophesied about what would happen before he went to the cross, that Christ wouldn't open his mouth with a defense that He wouldn't be violent. He wouldn't have any deceit on his lips. All of that was prophesied years before Jesus was here on earth. And through that action is how we are saved, but also through that action is how we become children of Abraham. You see, for the Israelites, ancestry, and for really everyone, ancestry is traced by blood, right? If you have the same blood, you have the same family, your ancestry can be traced back. So if we skip ahead to the Gospel of John, I want to read one specific part in in John's Gospel about the crucifixion. Um, Verses 31 to 34 uh, in chapter 19. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that his legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. The blood of Jesus Christ spilled at the cross is what brings us into the family of God. It makes us descendants of Father Abraham. It's what allows us to fulfill those promises that God made so many years ago. You see, the family of God started out perfectly in the garden. There was no sin in it. Creation was perfect. There was no corruption. And our job as the redeemed family of God, after all the twists and turns it has taken to get to this point, our job is to be the instruments in which Christ uses to restore humanity to that original point. Ideally, bringing us back 
to how we were at the garden, trying to bring us out of sin and into righteousness. That's the point of the church, right? And going back to those promises given to Abraham, the church, the family of God now, we are to be a blessing to all nations and all families, all people. That's one of the things that we are to be. Because how are the nations and families of the earth to be blessed if not through the church? Right? How is that promise that God gave to Abraham? And when God gives a promise, we all know that it's kept. Right? God doesn't give an empty promise. So the church is supposed to be that blessing to all nations and people. And through evangelism, the descendants of Abraham will outnumber the stars in the heaven and the sands of the shore. Because through evangelism, through bringing people to Jesus, we bring them into the lineage of Abraham. And so you and I have very direct involvement in fulfilling those promises given to Abraham so many years ago. You and I have direct involvement in expanding the family of God and trying to bring the family of God to the entire world, trying to bring humanity back to its original purpose and to its original design. We are to go to all people and all nations. It doesn't matter ethnicity, language. It doesn't matter if you've held a grudge against someone for years. It doesn't matter what someone has done to you. We are to go to all people in any nation in all nations. That's the charge that we are given through the promises of Abraham. That's the charge we're also given at the Great Commission to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the charge that the church has. That's the goal that Christ came to fulfill, that the family of God might become all of these things. There's a song by Sidewalk Prophets called Come to the Table, and I think it is such a beautiful illustration of this idea. The chorus is this, come to the table, come join the sinners who have been redeemed, and take your place beside the Savior, sit down and be set free. This imagery, this idea of a family sitting at the table, eating a meal together, and just open seats, open arms. Come all who have sinned. Come and meet Jesus. Come and join our family. That's the charge we have. It doesn't matter what someone has done. It doesn't matter the thoughts they've had, the words they've spoken. We're all sinners. We're all sinners to some degree. And we are all in need of redemption. And it is through Jesus that all of us come to the family of God. Um, I know Phil is back there printing off more sheets and James has some to pass out. Um, but today, um, today I really have one ask. Uh, I would ask you guys to pray. I'd ask you guys to pray that your own lives, you would be able to be this blessing to everyone around you. That you would be able to be bold enough to expand the family of God and welcome people with open arms. I would ask that you pray for our own family, the cross point here. Um, there's a lot of hurt going on. There's a lot of spiritual warfare happening. There's a lot trying to break down 
this family, this subfamily of the entire church. I ask you pray for that. Um, and Phil, if you and the rest of the band want to come up here, you can. Um, and I also want to ask that if you are not a member of this family, if you know who Jesus is, but you have never stopped to actually believe in who Jesus is, if you have never stopped and realized that you are a sinner, you've never realized your own sin and confessed them to Jesus, and believe that his blood, the blood that was spilled at Calvary, is enough to forgive and redeem you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the heinous thoughts you may have had, regardless of the words that has come of your mouth like poison, regardless of anything in your life, Jesus' blood is enough. And if that has never made sense before today, I would ask that during this first song or at any point the rest of today, you come and see me. We'll talk about it. We'll pray over it. Because there's nothing more important than actually joining the family of God. There's nothing more important than actually coming to that moment of belief. So as the band begins to play, if you are willing to pray for any of this, whether it's at your seat, whether it's coming to the stage and the altar, using this front row of chairs as an altar, I would invite you to do that. Scripture tells us that the prayer of a righteous individual is powerful. And I'm going to be honest, if the prayer of one righteous person is powerful, how much more so is the prayer of two righteous individuals or three or four? So I'd invite everyone to pray. And if you're not praying, to lift a voice of joy to God with thanksgiving on your heart as we are commanded to in Scripture.